Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of Swole Patrol is brought to you by Molecule, the only air purifier that actually destroys pollutants. Offer is $75 off your first order. You heard me correctly. Visit Molecule, that's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and at checkout, enter the promo code SWOLE, S-W-O-L-E. Dr. Drew and I know you're going to love it. It's the Swole Patrol, it's the Swole Patrol, suck my balls and lick all my asshole, my father is so buff and he deadlifts more than you and he only eats plants, he's a vegan athlete and he is well known amongst the kettlebell community, my father is super strong and he's stronger than you, so if you have something to say about vegan Santa's face. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That might be my new intro song. (laughs) It's called Say It to Mike's Face. I do a a custom custom intro song every single Swole Patrol, and sometimes it works out. prepares hours on it. I prepare zero (laughs) seconds, and that's the only time it works well. Uh, (laughs) Our guest today is uh, super, super well-respected amongst the fitness and health community. Um, He does the Live Life Aggressively podcast, uh, his own podcast, and I I recommend it highly. He is also um, amongst – Outside of just giving great information, um, you can go to MikeMuller.com to get all the info on, on him. and Spell his, his last name so we get it. M-A-H-L-E-R. Uh, he is a guy that I can – I'm not a big supplement guy, but I will unashamedly and without any type of financial interest promote all of Mike's – uh, hmm. supplement line. It nice. is it is fantastic. I know from firsthand. I've used it and it works. And it's not. Uh, he is not a snake oil salesman, which uh, a lot of the supplement industry is. So he is Mike Mahler, and welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you so much. Thanks for that nice introduction as well. It's it's my pleasure, man. Um, uh, let's dive right into something that I I think that is super super duper important to Dr. Drew right on the. Uh, Right on the tip sure. of what he is is dealing with right now with his own fitness, um, and something that I think you're perfectly suited to help him with, and that is Dr. Drew is a guy who likes to train frequently, but right. he's, he's been having some trouble. He's been complaining about uh, trying to manage the amount of intensity to meet the amount of volume that he's training with. Because you are a guy, Drew, admittedly, who likes to train every day if you could yeah yeah absolutely in fact i've lately started doing it twice a day a little bit there you I go just divide right. it up but it's like oh, i go to the afternoon you know mike you're you're a guy unlike a lot you know there's plenty of high intensity fellas out there and, and gals and and I, i'm all for that if that works for you and there's plenty of the the more high volume stuff but i know 
you'll even dive into like the Leo Costa style of really training sure. super frequently. Um, and you've had a lot of success doing it. Um, what, what's your take on that with the, you know, the high frequency stuff? Well, you just have to look at if, if you want to train intensely, right? This means training to failure or close to it. You can do that and it can be very effective. The key is you can't do it frequently because it requires more recovery time. It also fits a certain personality type of someone who wants to push themselves to the limit. They enjoy the challenge, the pain of pushing those last few repetitions. Not, every, not everyone is going to be a fit for that style of training. The problem, though, with high-intensity training, because you can't do it frequently, you don't get good at the skill set of training. And effective strength, strength training is a skill set. You wouldn't play the piano once a week until you can't play anymore. You would play it every day, working on refining technique, getting better. My, my thing was I'd always found that I got more out of at least four days a week, sometimes five or six. Sure. And, and, and I also have done high intensity, and I get essentially nothing out of it. I just get nothing. Right. I, get, I get this great right. pump and I feel great. And I literally, I literally cry. It's so intense. I cry. I know I'm doing a high intense work because I actually makes me sob a little bit. And, right. and that's how hard I'm working. And I walk away and I go, well, it's all, nothing, zero. Well, well, if I get high volume frequently, I just get tons out of it. And I feel great. Uh, and I, I, then I did, and it, correct me, tell me what you think about this. Because this is what set me – between Mark Bell and this, what set me back at doing heavy weights again, was I did that fitness genes thing. Just yeah. I was doing it as for a podcast. And uh-huh. he, he did my genetic profile, and he goes, you know, you're the kind of person that should be working out very frequently, very intense. And I went, yeah, I know. I've been, I've been telling everybody else that. And he goes, do try that and see if that didn't work. And then, then we had a thing with Mark, and lo and behold, I'm back. Yeah. Well, right. look, you know, Mike, you're a guy who's deadlifting four or five days a week. Uh, ah, that and, I could not uh, do. Although I, but this would be good for me though. I have started. I don't know how to manage my legs very well because like, mm-hmm. I start to get tired. Yeah. There well, maybe yeah. maybe that's the thing. Uh, how how do you manage? Because Mike Mike Mahler, for those of you who don't know, I mean, he's, it's not all talk. This guy, you're a guy who can can hit five plates for reps on a deadlift. Um, you're right. you're a strong strong guy. Um, the the weight high. You know, four or five days a week. Oh my God! What is no? It is a lot, but it can be done successfully. And, and you know, kind of what's the t- what's the, the the secret to that? Well, here's the key: you want if you're going to train frequently, right? So if I'm training the deadlift four or five times a week, I'm going to use sixty-five to eighty percent of my one rep max, and I'm going to keep it to three sets in the three to five set range. Now, most of those workouts are going to be very easy. You're going to leave feeling fresh. You're going to leave the same way you would feel after a good massage. And this is what psychologically a lot of people have a difficult time with because we keep hearing that narrative of no pain, no gain. You should be wiped out after you work out. You should be sore the next day. Oh, I can't walk. People wear it as a badge of honor. But when you're focused on getting as strong as possible, the more often you can train, and recover, the faster you're going to make progress. When I was deadlifting once a week, that worked for a while, but my progress is way faster right now. I have a goal of deadlifting six plates or 585 pounds at a body weight of 195, right? So that would be three times my body weight. And I'm very close to that. I'm not going on the door of that. I'm definitely going to hit it before I turn 45 in October. Good for you. You're you're a guy who who values mental strength and and what comes along with 
um, really embracing the iron and training and, and the, the kind of mental fortitude that comes along with that. How do you reason with leaving some gas in the tank while also um, scratching that itch to build that mental strength? Right. Well, you have to look at other aspects of progress. So instead of looking at lifting the most weight possible every single time, which is just demonstrating strength, you're not building strength when you do that. You have to look at other facets of improvement, such as repetition speed. If my rep speed accelerates, even with the same weight, that's a form of progression. My friend Sabina Scala, she's a UK strength coach. She measures the repetition time. We never talk of about her clients. Yeah, yeah not, she works we, with MMA clients all the time. Well, that makes sense and for she, them. My God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the faster you can move something, the stronger you can be as well, because speed is a critical component of strength. Even if the bar looks like it's moving slow, the intent should be to move it as fast as possible. And do do you value? I mean, do you put any value on like like West Side? I know has days devoted to, to, to speed training where the, the weights yeah. are really low, especially for, for those monsters. And they're just <laughs> moving. The, the, the whole goal is for that day of training, really hitting high repetition speed. Is that something that you incorporate into your training or would recommend? I do. And I love Westside. And I think Louis Simmons is the best powerlifting coach ever. He's, I'm a huge fan of Louis Simmons. I'm a big fan of Westside. What I do is very instinctive training. So this is not what, how I train myself is not necessarily how I would design a program for someone else. I've just been training for so long that I have an idea of what I'm going to do. And then once I do my warm up sets, I modify. So for example, last week I was doing my warm up sets. I was only planning on doing maybe 445 for sets of three, but everything felt so light on the deadlift that I ended up going to 505 for sets of three. I just made that decision right on the spot. I've had other days where I had, I had a plan of going in and deadlifting maybe 550 for a couple singles. But as I did my warm-up weights, I realized that it's probably not there, or if it is there, it's going to be with really bad technique. So instead of making that mistake and leaving on a negative, I just kept the weights lighter and focused on speed, technique, being really crisp. With the deadlift, there's so much, there's so much more technique than what it appears. I mean, if you describe the deadlift to someone, it's, okay, you're just going to bend over and pick up a weight. Well, anyone who can pick up a lot of weight, it's way more complex than that. You have to drop your hips hips at the right time. You have to drive the bar off the second you drop your hips. There's so much technique that's involved. So even using lighter weights, if it's improving that technique, when you go back up to the heavier weights, you're way less injury prone and your performance is going to be much stronger. You know, you and I were talking before we got started and you were saying that, you you know, deadlifting four or five times a week, your backs never felt better. And, and yeah. I, I've had yeah. the same experience. And I'm, yeah. I'm not, I never felt better, but it's remarkably better. I'm wondering if that's the secret for your legs, Drew, and that maybe more frequently the the frequency of M- maybe switching no, over to squatting. You know, no, a there's bit more something. I, I'm sort of I'm, I'm experimenting with different things. Yeah, uh, I'm separating the deadlifts from the legs a little bit, seeing if that because I one of my things I'm finding is I have a lot of pain, not, not intolerable pain, but more pain than I think I should. Sort of tendonitis kind of pain. So yeah. I feel like I'm. And knee pain, which I've never had before, I think oh, something's going on. Uh, and I'm fatigued, like I like I get by nine o'clock at night, I'm like gassed, which is kind of unusual for me, even lifting heavy weights. So maybe that's a that's the key is being being able to back off and understanding back off and separate yeah. it. Maybe not try to do all in one day. Having the discipline, I mean, that's the thing, right, Mike? Is like the discipline right. because I think if you're listening to this podcast, and certainly the guys that are talking on this podcast right now. 
we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a love of going hard. Well, I was going to say we love going hard, but we're not an elite athlete like Mike is. That Mike, <laughs> Mike, well, and, and and I'm trying to do this in the realm of what an average citizen can right. do. You know, so but 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 you do have that. You do want to scratch that itch of going hard. Oh, and feeling it's like, my it's my preference. You know my preference. Right. So it's my preference. So I'm saying like maybe it's having the discipline to to scale it back a little bit. If it's it's something to do with yeah. It's something to do with. I, it's you know what it is. It, it, if I'm going to go heavy in squats, I need like four day recovery. Yeah, bottom line, right. bottom line. Right. And, and so I don't. I wasn't giving myself that, and I started noticing stuff. So that, is that about right, Mike? Well, here's the thing with squats. I I used to fall into the narrative of hit squats once a week, about barbell squats, and then give yourself a week to recover, come back. But then I tried the Smoloff squat program which is a russian powerlifting program that is high frequency hold on you now squat, so tell us what that is four, we're like whoa what's this drew times. likes anything <laughs> russian <laughs> russian powerlifting four times a week with uh. this program once one day you do four sets of nine then you do five sets of seven seven sets of five ten sets of three at different weights oh and so the first couple first month you squat four times a week my squat blasted through a plateau doing this program i did it last year and that's what inspired me to do a high-frequency deadlift program because I didn't think a high-frequency squat program would work, and it worked extremely well, way better than infrequent for a variety of reasons. But one of the main reasons why it works so well is neurological efficiency. Huh. Your mind-body connection becomes way more profound when you squat more often. Also, if you throw a hard stimulus at your body, and as long as you give yourself the tools to recover, your body will adapt. So you're, when you squat four times, I mean, here's the crazy thing. You go in on Monday and you squat, and the next day you're sore, just like you always are when you squat. Yeah. But you have to go back in that day and squat again. And guess what? You can do it, and you're stronger, and you feel even better after you do it. The soreness starts going away. So I think when you train often, it becomes almost a form of joint mobility. When you train infrequently, your body tightens up a lot more. And when you work out, it takes a while to get into the groove. My groove for deadlifts now is really fast. I cruise through the warm-up weights and hit those top sets. Well, if I only did it once a week, it takes a while. I've got to stretch out. I've got to do a bunch of warm-up sets to get into the groove, get my mind ready, get the technique ready. When you do something infrequently, often you're just going through these rehearsal cues of remembering the technique. When you do it often, just like driving your car every day, it's automatic. You don't have to think about it. Do you keep the rest of your workout going around that four-day-a-week workout? Do you change that? Yeah, I, I do full-body workouts every time. So I always do upper-body press, upper-body pull, lower-body press, lower-body pull, and then something for the core, torso. So every single workout's a full-body workout. And then the volume is low because the frequency is high, right? I can't do 10 sets of five of five different exercises and then do that five times a week. So right. It's not Right. So it's three. No, generally no more than three sets at the most five. There you I, go. I might do that. It's starting to make sense, uh-oh, isn't it, Drew? Uh-oh. <laughs> starting to make sense. <laughs> I might have to try that one. It's I, fun too. I like working out often, and I like not being beaten up because I've got other things to do, and you're way busier than I am. So this this style of training is perfect for you because you're not going to beat up. You're not going to be beat up and sore after a session like this you can train every day like this and do just fine i don't mind be beat up and sore it, it's the gassed out at you know the yeah. evening the well gassed. that too yeah that too yeah i like kind of being beat up and sore <laughs> <laughs> i do too which is why psychologically it was hard to do something like this because i like the i like the rush that comes with yeah. pushing past a barrier yeah. lifting something that you don't think you can do psyching yourself up and you still do that with this style of training you just don't do it often so maybe you do 
eight weeks of practice and then you go for a PR and then you go back to practice sets. You're just not doing it every single time. See, the mistake a lot of people make is they try to hit a PR every single time they work out, especially young guys. Yeah. Right. So every time they work out, they're trying to lift more than the last time. Yeah. And that works for beginners, maybe for the first three, six months, maybe even the first year. Yep. But eventually, you're going to start going backwards. Yep. Staying with training, how I've noticed um, you incorporating, you know, you've been well known for being a kettlebell expert. And you yes. incorporate into your barbell training um, some kettlebell movements. How difficult is it? And if you could give us like the reader digest, reader's digest version of sure. incorporating crucial kettlebell movements into a barbell program. It's not difficult at all when you remember that kettlebells are weights, right? So kettlebell exercises fall within those five categories I just mentioned. So my, my incorporation of kettlebells at this point is double kettlebell swings outside the feet because that feels really good on the lower back and posterior chain, especially after heavy squats or deadlifts. Hold on. Dead, a, what are those? It's a, double 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 swing. So instead, the, typically a, a bar, uh, kettlebell swing is done yeah. between the legs. Yeah. So this is a narrow stance, double, so one in each hand. Alternating? Oh, together. No, 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 together okay, on the it. outside. Okay, got on it. the outside of the legs. Okay, that's how I broke my knee. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to make sure the technique is good. You don't want one of those kettlebell boulders going right into your knee. But my body type is when I deadlift, I use a fairly close stance. I don't do sumo or a wider stance. So I'm, and when I do box jumps, it's a fairly close stance. So I'm more of a close stance guy for, for heavy weight training. So when it comes to double kettlebell swings, a closer stance and swinging the bells on the outside of my feet is what works best for my body type. It feels way more fluid. And then it just loosens up the body too. And I love kettlebell overhead presses just because the offset nature of the kettlebell helps pull it into a nice groove for shoulder flexibility and stability, meaning that when you lock out the weights overhead, it's not in front of your head as it often is when people use dumbbells and a barbell, not because there's anything wrong with dumbbells or barbells, just because they have tight shoulders and it goes that way. But with the kettlebell, because, of this, because it's offset, it tends to pull back. And that's exactly where you want it to be when you lock out overhead. And it just, it feels really good. It's one of my favorite pressing moves. And uh, I, you know, switching over to, to diet, um, sure. you have a, a tremendous amount of, of good information that you espouse when it comes to diet. One of the things that I've, Thank you. I've always respected about you is that you for, for way before intermittent fasting was in vogue way before you were talking about how the bodybuilding industry in particular has tricked people into eating far too frequently. Um, right. and, and I just, if you could talk a little bit about that, the idea of spreading out your meals and maybe not eating this, this, you know, eating like Jay Cutler, uh, having a meal every hour and a half to two hours, like a lot of people who are concerned with their physique do there's a lot of you know sincere advantages to spreading out your meals can, can you can you kind of elaborate on that oh uh, yeah i'd love to um, intermittent fasting is something my friend ori hoffmeckler got me into he's the author of the warrior diet and he's oh, yeah. the one who really popularized intermittent I mean, he wrote this book in i think it was 1999 or 2000 so this is way before intermittent fasting blew up and he had a very in- intelligent approach now, I, I don't generally go all day without eating most days. I do that a couple times a week. But on days I'm training really hard, I like to have some meal in, in my body a couple hours before I train. thing is, is I don't eat big meals during the day. That's when I'm most active. And then I tend to consume a bigger dinner. But with the longer stretches, here's the thing. Here's the thing about eating frequently. 
a lot of people do it and it works for them. And that's great. I wouldn't say stop doing it. If you're getting good results, keep doing it. But the problem with eating several times a day is you're training your body to be to rely on the food that's coming in. So if you train your body to eat every two hours, your body's going to be used to eating every two hours. And if you miss one of those meals, you're going to have a blood sugar crash and you're going to feel terrible because that's what your body's used to. It's looking for its fix. Right. Now, when you go to longer stretches, what happens is three hours after you eat, insulin starts going down. Insulin goes up when you eat to drive nutrition into your muscle cells and liver. A couple hours after you eat, insulin goes down. Another hormone called glucagon comes up. And that pulls energy out of the liver, and then it goes to stored body fat. So now you're getting a snack on stored body fat in between meals, and you're also improving leptin and insulin sensitivity, which are master control hormones that have a cascade effect on other hormones. And then you also have more time to do stuff. We're all busy. We're all trying to get stuff done. Now, it's important to eat. It's important to eat healthy. But if you can have a very healthy meal with a good balance of fat, protein, low glycemic carbohydrates – you'll find that you can go a much longer stretch than you realize. When I have my morning shake, I'm not hungry for six hours. When I have dinner, I'm not hungry for the rest of the evening because I'm giving my body very high nutrition every single time I eat. Yeah, yeah, I really, really want people to hear that. And again, just like Mike Mahler said, if you're eating eight times a day and you're shredded and you're feeling great, no, not, believe enjoy, me, enjoy. enjoy. <laughs> right, but, right. Some people love it. Yeah. Some people love eating that often, and that's great. I wouldn't say stop doing that. I have a friend, Lisa Baelish. She's a kettlebell instructor, and she comes from a fitness figure background, and she's in her 40s, and she looks great. She's very lean all year round, and she has followed that small meal frequency approach for, for decades, and it obviously works great for her. Now, could she get the same results doing longer stretches? Probably, but if she's used to eating that way and she likes it, more power to them. The thing is, is that whenever someone has great results with an approach, they somehow think everybody else is going to have great results too. And they become that annoying person that can't stop talking about it, right? right? Let's say someone started taking tennis lessons and they think tennis is the greatest thing. They're like, come on, Mike, why don't you play tennis? Yeah. Come play tennis. It's like, great. I'm I'm glad you found something you enjoy, but I have no interest in that. I I I think that's the way it used to be, but people are so primitive now. It really is more, you need to come to my church. Yeah, it's really right. it's, it's getting very it becomes weird. religion. Yeah, very weird. Yeah. And I don't like days. that. I don't like that approach. I don't like trying to push. You know, I have strong personal beliefs, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to try to push it on every single person I meet. Yeah. And you know, I've been on a vegan diet for 25 years and I never want to be that guy where I'm having dinner with a friend and I'm going, oh, did you, did you know what happened to that animal to get on your plate? And oh, you should feel, you know, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty and make people feel bad. I rather just present a powerful personal example, and then if people are more interested in what I have to do, I'm happy to answer the questions. Leave by example. That is uh, something that you definitely do. Whenever I get any question uh, via Twitter or Instagram, anything like that, people asking me about plant based anything, the first thing I do is give them your name, and I say, "Go over to Mike Mahler's website. That's the best." example of how to live a healthy plant-based lifestyle um if someone's an an endurance athlete i say rich roll if someone's interested in strength and power automatically i i I gear them towards you um that's something i really have always respected about you as well is that you know that's not typical in the vegan world at least in the in the public for vegans there's a lot of people who like to be dogmatic about it um are you in any way tempted with the now with the movement of the carnivore diet um, 
are you tempted to kind of break out of that mold? Because that has to be just counterintuitive to everything that you think nutritionally. Uh, the carnivore diet. What, what do I think about it? Is that the question? Well, not. I'm sure I, I can kind of guess what you think about it. But w- my question is: is you know, it's with so many people now to adopting that, and I look, I'm a I'm a meat eater. I don't have any problem with it if that's what you sure. choose to do. But yeah, yeah. I also am out there saying, I don't think eating an exclusively animal flesh protein diet is healthy, and that plant matter has a lot to offer. Right. Um, you know, so I'm trying to in there, and I get a lot of shit for it from the people who get right. dogmatic about really? stuff. You know, this well, super- here's, here's my take on all that, and I, I'm a guy who goes, if you have the results to back up whatever you're doing, then you then you have the results, right? And that's inarguable. Yeah. Now, with the carnivore diet, the guy who popularized it, right, Sean Baker, I believe he's been on your show. Yep. He released his blood work a while back, and he had the lowest testosterone I've ever seen, and he had type 2 diabetes based on his glucose level. It was 126. So based on his results, I would say it's not working for him. Now right. – I have friends such as Steve Maxwell who did very similar diet when I first met him. He's more balanced now, and he had great results with that. And the doctor, I forget his name who got him on it. He was a, a much older guy and very lean, jacked dude. He had great results with it too. So the blood work doesn't lie. And I give Dr. Baker a lot of credit for releasing that blood work too, by the way, because he didn't have to do that. He could have looked at that blood work and said, well, I'm going to keep this to myself because I'm going to get crucified for this. I give him a lot of credit too. He's he's totally transparent and he's a likable yeah. guy. Dr. Baker's a good yeah. dude. And he's, he's he's you can't be a scientist and withhold data. Yeah. You can't. No, that's right. Yeah. That's right. No, but but, but I, res- I respect that a lot. Yeah. But though, if, if I had, if that were my blood work, I would be extremely concerned. I mean, I sent it to my friend, Dr. Mark Gordon. I don't know if you guys have had him on the show or not. We had him on uh, the Mike and Drew podcast. We did. Okay. We did. And yeah. uh, he had some fascinating things to say about, you know, traumatic brain injury and how it affected right. hormones. Yeah. He's, well, he's one of the foremost hormone optimization experts out there. In fact, if I had to pick one guy, I would pick him because he's high integrity, extremely knowledgeable and explains these things really well. And I sent the blood work over to him just for his feedback. I was curious what he had to say. He called me up within two seconds. He was so concerned. He goes, I don't know who this is, but there's a lot of problems here. So I, I would be concerned if that were my blood work. That, that's an extremely low testosterone level. I believe it was 200 something, which is extremely low. My dad's 75. His testosterone's 550. Just to give you some context, and he's not a workout guy at all. So you shouldn't have levels that are that low, especially when you're adopting a fitness lifestyle. And the glucose I thought was interesting because he's on essentially a zero carbohydrate diet, yet his glucose is through the roof. Yeah, that so is I interesting. That was intriguing yeah. too. Does he have a family history of diabetes? Do we know? I don't know. I don't know. Because what you don't know is whether this was something coming anyway. Right. Oh, that's right. true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. That's but, a good but, point. It, but certainly this, this didn't help. <laughs> this didn't help me. No. But, so, I, but I think yeah. – I don't think he necessarily – I think if you just balanced it out a little bit. He'd probably improve his numbers quite a bit. Maybe a more of a paleo diet type approach where you incorporate a lot of vegetables, some fruits, just a little bit more balanced. I think he would probably get much better results. I'm a big guy in balance. Whatever diet you're on, I believe it has to be balanced. And what I mean by that is you need a good amount of healthy fats, you need some carbohydrates, and you need some protein to feel your, at least I do, to feel my best. Now, my vegan diet is different than a lot of other people because a lot of the vegan diets you hear are being popularized are extremely high carbohydrate very low protein and fat. And that approach has never worked well for me as a strength guy. I like at least 30, 40% of my overall calorie intake coming from good fats, avocados, nuts and seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, et cetera. And then maybe 20% from protein and the, less from, the rest from carbohydrates. I've always felt really good on that. 
I find that if I go too high in carbohydrates, and I mean healthy carbohydrates, fruits, vegetables, etc., I don't feel good. I can actually, I, I almost have somewhat of a hangover effect if, I'm, if my carbohydrate intake is too high. Right. I get depressed. I feel off. I feel weak. I remember years ago, I did an experiment. I read Tony Robbins' book, and, and at that time, he was on this fruit diet, right, where it was <laughs> almost 100% fruit. Oh, right? That's no, that's no boy, <laughs> I read that. I go, oh, cool. This sounds great. I love fruits. I had this big bowl of fruit and then I went to lift weights and it was the worst workout ever. I was so tired. Everything felt heavy. Normally I would have a peanut butter sandwich and I didn't, I mean, it's not the, it's not the perfect pre-workout meal, but it's a balance of fat, protein and carbohydrates to some extent. And whenever I had that, this is a poor man's meal. This is when I was in college. I would always have a great workout. And I didn't figure it out until later that just a, a more a higher fat, more balanced approach works really well for me. And then a, a certain amount of fat intake is very important to fuel hormone optimization as well. Your sex hormones, DHEA, pregnenolone, and testosterone. Hey, let's talk about nuts for a minute. Yeah. Because I've never really heard a good, clear message on how much, whether you can use the nut butters. And I, I'm a little confused about it. Uh, Vinny. I always talk about peely nuts for, for fats. Yeah. Everyone knows macadamia nuts for fats. But really, what I've never really had seen it broken down very well. And, and and how much almond versus almond butter. and You know what I mean? Do you yeah. Have any sense of this? That's I, a, I mean, I, I think that's a good question for Mike. I know you're you're big on my, healthy my, fats from I, nuts. I love nuts. I love nuts, and I, and I crave them all the time. But I tend to go towards the almond butter. So I figure there's yeah. probably a carbohydrate in there or some extra fats or something. <laughs> so that's probably why oh, I'm doing oh, it. But go ahead. Tell uh, no, I love almond butter. I could grab a jar of almond butter and a spoon and have a meal. Yep. So I'm a big fan of that stuff too. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if you can really overdo nuts and seeds that easily because they're so high calorie and they're so nutrient dense. You're giving your body so many good things that I think you fill up faster. It's really the food that's low in nutrition and high in calories that you have to worry about because you're not getting anything nutrition wise from them that your body will just keep going what about That's the, what about the non-nut nuts i mean like peanuts aren't cashews not even nuts well I mean, they, they say yeah, that peanuts peanuts are a legume yeah. technically yeah and are they are they okay in the range of this it seems to me like they, they they're super high calorie aren't they yeah they're they're high calorie but you have to look i'm not worried about calories i don't count calories i yeah. don't even recommend people count calories let's focus on infusing as much real food nutrition into your body because let's look at calories from another standpoint. Can you overeat broccoli? Can you overeat cucumbers? Can you overeat tomatoes? Sure, you can, but who does? You know, yeah, it's no one hard. has the bowl of broccoli and then goes, okay, give me eight more because I, I just got this craving. Right. No, you've got fibers, you've got nutrition. You're giving when you give your body what it needs, you can eat a lot less than you think you do. I mean, I'm six feet tall, I weigh around 198 right now. I don't eat more than 3,000 calories a day, and I train like a savage several times a week. But what I do eat is very high in nutrition. So it's I don't have to consume an, an overabundance of processed food to get little what little nutrition is in there. Right. But, but there are th- it's, that's why I bring up the nuts. It's interesting you're sure. thinking about that direction because I can easily overeat them. Easily. Okay. I, I can eat them like potato chips. Right. And, and any nut. And, and so that being the case, is there any one I should avoid? Is there one that are really better than the other? G- given that. But you're, you're, not, you're not overweight at all, though, right? 
Uh, I just have, I have I mean, to, you look I have great. to watch it. I mean, I have to be careful. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, Susan said, you look great. So, I mean, I wouldn't be worried if I were you, honestly. You look good. You're an active guy. You're, you push yourself professionally. You push yourself physically. I do. I do. But I but I noticed that I could, I could like, really go to town. To me, look, if I, <laughs> I, I, say, really really I say, look, <laughs> I like to, for I me, mean, this is my personal belief. And, I, and Mike, uh, you know, tell me what you think. I like sure. to get some almonds in. If I can't have avocados, because I think monounsaturated fats are really important metabolically. Sure. Yeah. So I like yeah, to incorporate almonds. It, and I like to, every once in a while, incorporate walnuts because I think it's a great plant-based source of omega-3s. Walnuts the only, walnuts the only one I, I wouldn't binge on. But almonds. <laughs> I love if walnuts. Yeah, Brazil nuts are the ones you yeah, probably wouldn't binge that's on. That's right. Brazil nuts boring, but actually the maybe, most boring nut of all time. But maybe a little more than walnuts somehow. But, <laughs> if, but if there is a bowl of almonds, I'll have trouble not finishing it. How about mm. pecans? Pecans I hate. So somebody on Facebook <laughs> said nuts should be used for variety only, very poor nutrition. Huh. So that's, that's yeah. I just I, I disagree with that. I, I, I that disagree is, completely. What the background yeah. is, but I would disagree with that. It's well, again, we're not. If, if we were, but he we loves were, nuts. If we were concerned with just, <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about in, in a in a spectrum of a pretty high calorie. I mean, nutrient diet, right? right. We're, not, we're not leaving stuff right. out. We're well, not you're just, eating macadamia nuts now. I was trying that to see if that how that worked if I could curb that, and I ended up buying almond butter. Just yeah, <laughs> I see. To me, macadamia yeah, nuts better. macadamia nuts are an excellent source of of you know healthy saturated fat. Yeah. Um, the problem with me is like I can I can eat twenty five hundred calories of macadamia nuts easily in a sitting. You know, What's I, the, how much? How many nuts is that about? That's not that. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, 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 like know if Mike, I, I may be doing that every day. I'm like Mike. <laughs> so. I don't, I don't believe it. You know that unless you're a competitive bodybuilder, I don't think I'm. It's good advice to start weighing your food and counting no, calories. No, no, see, I can't do. But that. at the same time, right. I know it's not right for me to eat. Uh, you know. 200 macadamia nuts. Yeah. It's, it's just not <laughs> 200. Okay, so 50 is okay. <laughs> um, real quick, well, I mean, Mike. Here's, here's, here's the thing, too, is if, if, if you do high fat, you have to do low carbohydrates. If you do high yeah. carbohydrates, you have to do lower fat. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just get getting it. nutrient spillover, right? Get it. So if you're on a high fat diet and then you add in a bunch of sugar, you're going to fill up stored body fat like there's no tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Vice versa as well. So if you're where I'm going is if you're eating a lot of nuts and seeds, let's say you're you're you just eat a huge amount because you enjoy it. Yeah. It's not really a fact. It's not, it doesn't really matter unless you're eating a ton of carbohydrates, not necessarily even at that meal, just at some other point. Okay. You know, that's where it's problematic. So there's not a lot of carb in, hidden in nuts, any particular. No, no not no, much no, at no. all. And let's say, that's what let's say you're eating like. a lot of nuts and seeds and then you have a ton of pasta later. Yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I know better than that. But No, but and that. it's fibrous too, you know, yeah. that the carbohydrates, just, middle carbohydrates. I've noticed, I noticed a craving for it. I've noticed momentum with it that's – Interesting. Um, I, think, I think I think the craving is probably a good thing. There's probably yeah. something in it that your yeah. body's desiring, so yeah. you're, you're gravitating towards it. There's yeah. there's certainly worse things you could be craving. So I don't, I don't think it's even something a other than meat. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it, <laughs> um, Mike. What's what is in a nutshell? I mean, because you, as far for a non doctor, are one of the guys that I really trust when it comes to hormone optimization. Um, Doctor Drew is a perfect example. Look, this is a guy who can't do testosterone replacement therapy even though your age probably I'd love to do would it. love to well I'm still gonna I'm gonna go fight with my oncologist he, um, Dr. Drew, <laughs> is, Dr. That, Drew. Is, that, is that because of some health reason yeah or? I have prostate cancer so oh, okay yeah so okay. it's sort of well, like here's that. the thing about prostate cancer and again I'm saying this as a researcher not as a doctor or an expert but yeah. there's a there's a Harvard doctor who wrote a book on testosterone his, his name Morgan Teller that's his name Dr. Abraham Morgan Teller 
he he wrote a compelling piece on the connection between testosterone and prostate cancer. And the Cliff Notes version is that it's like a saturation method with a plant, meaning that if I pour a glass of water on a plant, it's going to absorb that water. Now, if I pour five more glasses, it's not going to absorb any more water. It's just going to sit there. So with prostate cancer, it only needs a small amount of testosterone to convert into DHT to cause prostate hypertrophy and other prostate issues. So whether you have high testosterone or low testosterone is immaterial because it only requires a small amount. Now, again, this is Dr. Morgan Teller's thesis. No, but his thesis and thinking like that in terms of the genesis of prostate cancer is pretty mainstream. But once you have prostate cancer, okay, okay, you understand sure. that I have may have met. 100%. I have, but we don't even know what activates metastases yet. We yeah. really right. don't. So I may right. have some cells sitting in my back somewhere waiting for some cue to go. Sure. Yeah. And testosterone. Sure. And by the way, when we treat it, should I get it? It's with testosterone antigen blockers. That's what we we. It's all about the antigen receptor in terms of dealing with prostate what, cancer. Are, are you concerned with increasing your testosterone at all or just TRT, exogenous? I just love to do it. Although I think you would do well with Clomid. That's one thing that Dr. Mark, that Dr. Mark Gordon Well, uses let me tell you what worries me about that is I was taking DHEA when I got prostate cancer and that made me think. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've already had it. Okay. Yeah, I just okay. wonder. I, I responded well to it, but I thought, well, maybe that's what did it or who yeah, knows. Yeah, no. But, Dr. Drew uh, has no prostate now. He yeah. had a robot rip it oh, out of wow. his body. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so yeah. <laughs> I imagine just the master cylinder coming in and just grabbing it out of my Am I lying, though? You had a yeah, robot? Yes, you're lying. They put it through my abdomen. <laughs> it was, Did a robot take your prostate out? Uh, uh, um, yes, yeah, somebody ro- operating a robot took it out. That's what, what, was, what was the amount of DHEA you were taking? Do you remember? Uh, 50 milligrams. And this was just a tablet you're taking? Yeah, not much, not much. Again, it's probably probably unrelated, but it made me nervous. That's all I'm saying. But Yeah, but, yeah I understand. Yeah, I, but, understand. But, I mean, uh, some people do have an increase in PSA when they take any hormone, whether it's pregnenolone, DHEA, or testosterone. Cor- so that's true, like, correct, but I had cancer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, no doubt, no doubt. That's, that's, yeah, that's wait, 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 but I'm going to ask this one. There's a question, though. It's that I, I want to finish this to TRT thing. You noticed how sure. I've stopped talking about that lately, Mike? Yes. On the current diet, I don't feel that desire for it. Okay. What because is TRT? The, well, let's talk about it after the break. Okay. All right. We've got to take a real quick break. We're with our guest, Mike Mahler. Hey, we're going to take a quick break to talk about Molecule, something awesome. Molecule is an air filtration system. It replaces 50 years of antiquated technology. Okay. It goes beyond HEPA filtration. So let's let's say that again because it's important to note that the the air filtration filtration world world has been based on technology, sort of World War II level technology. Yeah. Finally, we're moving it forward. It goes beyond HEPA filtration to not just capture but completely destroy the full spectrum of indoor air pollutants, including those 1,000 times smaller than a HEPA filter can trap. You hear me? Molecule makes a meaningful impact, and this means a lot for me. On asthma and allergy sufferers. You know, I, I've read their literature. I've, I looked at this, this product pretty carefully. And my wife has allergies, so we're going to be using it a lot in our households. Uh, and I've had this dry eye syndrome since I had my PRK procedure. It's been driving me insane. Yeah. And I'm hoping this will help with that as well. So I'm going to become a religious user, sort of wherever we are. And I like the idea that they call this the apple of air purifiers. Yeah, that, it, I like that. And I, and I again, I've looked at the literature. There's some stuff that was presented at the American College of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology. It's very very impressive. So it's not uh, trivial. It's based in good science. And it, like you pointed out, is the apple of air purifiers. The, the design is cool. It's not going to make your house 
look all junky. You know, you've no, had no, no. Yeah. it's uh, the design is nice and it's sleek and it's also backed by the EPA, so you know you're not going to be destroying the Earth. Molecules claims on this technology have been tested and verified by third-party laboratories like the University of Minnesota, University of South Florida, and the South Florida Center for Biological Defense. Molecules technology has been personally effective and verified by science people, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers like myself around the country better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms, especially now people. I hate to you know talk about something so sad, but during these California wildfires, oh, yeah. for those of you listening in Southern California, get that air filtration system, and there's no better one than good old Molecule. And right now, Dr. Drew, tell them about the special offer. And for $75 off your first order, visit Molecule, M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and at checkout, enter the promo code SWOLE, S-W-O-L-E. Dr. Drew and I both know you're going to love it. I want to welcome True Niagen to the show. True Niagen, of course, is a dietary supplement designed to boost a key cellular resource called NAD, or nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. A lot of research today on NAD. While the science is preliminary, studies are really showing some promising results. I've been watching this carefully. And what's exciting about these studies, it indicates the research suggests that increased NAD levels may potentially help with cellular metabolism, regulate circadian rhythm, and they're even hopeful that it may slow the effects of aging. I take it because the research looks very compelling. Again, these studies are all very early. The science, though, is impressive. Biohacking community has gotten on board with this. And I've been intrigued by the possibilities surrounding NAD and the research behind True Niagen suggest you check out their website for yourself. Back in June, I had the chance to speak with the company's chief scientific advisor, Dr. Charles Brenner, here on this podcast, and it was a fascinating discussion that really piqued my interest in all the possible applications for a product like this. Definitely check out that episode, and to learn more about the research, science, and the True Niagen supplements, visit drdrew.com slash trueniagen. That's my site, drdrew.com slash T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N, True Niagen. Welcome back to the Swole Patrol. Our guest today is strength coach, nutrition, and uh, supplement expert Mike Mahler. Um, Dr. Drew was talking about testosterone replacement therapy, which well, is TRT. And, and let me, TRT, yeah. And, and let me uh, just say, you know, I was talking about it with Mike all the time because I go, ah, sure, we'd love to do that. I'd optimize my training. I'd feel better. I'd more, yeah. And then I went on this carnivore diet, and it corrected everything. I, yeah. I started – It did. She's she, my wife's aware of it. I think his penis got bigger too. Sleeping better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a big plus. Right? Sleeping better. Everything. Everything up. Where I'm like, mm, I don't need that anymore. Maybe thinking about it. Yeah. Which is weird. I'm on it, and it's good for my workouts. Yeah. And, and the other thing. Have you done any? Have you done any lab work? I'd be. Curious. I have not. It would be curious too. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing some yeah. next week. In about a week, I'm doing some, and I'll let you know. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd be curious. I, I tell you what, I did do. I did my. I did lipids and everything else, and uh-huh. uh, they had literally never been better. Literally, oh, everybody. Nice. My entire—I've been following them since I was in my twenties because I've been worried about it. And this was absolutely the best cholesterol profile of my life. Did it's they crazy. test you for diabetes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, Mike, real quick, um, it, it, there's a lot of people that are interested in a plant-based uh, diet and a vegan lifestyle. And I was just at dinner the other night, and I with a friend of mine who's vegan. And the lady sat there in front of my face and had chips and salsa for dinner. <laughs> because she didn't want to eat any animal products, and I and I, for moral reasons, I absolutely just bow at the altar and respect that totally. But I yeah. I know. 
from the little I know about nutrition, she's not doing what she needs to do to take care of herself. But there and, were sunflower seeds on the, <laughs> on the avocado. But I do feel like that a lot of vegans and, and you know people who switch to a plant-based diet, they make that mistake of just not eating animal products and therefore feeling like they're doing their job. Really? What right. is, they don't right. know to adjust? No, no. Oh, I feel my like God. That, that's dangerous. And, right? Well, that's, that's true to a large extent. I mean, Oreos are technically vegan, right? So yeah. There's a lot of things that are vegan that are not healthy, and then there's a lot of vegan junk food and so forth, and you can focus on fake meat analogs and overly processed foods. I'm a big believer in, in eating real food, right. but also what, what I try to tell people that, that follow a vegan diet, and especially those who got into it for animal morality issues, which is how I got into it when I was a teenager, is the best promotion of a vegan diet is you exuding profound health, meaning that people will just want to know what you're doing. They're like, man, you look great. Or young lady, you look great. What are you doing? Because if you don't look good and you don't look healthy, people may listen to what you're saying and go, ah, I get where you're coming from. Factory farming is terrible. You know, I don't want to support that, but I don't want to look like you either. I don't know if I I can follow this. Yeah. So the key is to do a whole food plant-based diet, and then you're going to have to play around with macronutrients. I know people that do great on high carbohydrate, lower fat. And then I know people like myself who do way better on higher fat, lower carbohydrate. So it's going to take a little bit of playing around with. But if you focus on real food, whatever dietary approach you take, that's a good starting point. And then you just dial it in from there. And it's going to take a little patience. It's going to take a little bit of time or you work with an expert who can help dial it in a little bit faster for you. But focus on real food. Don't try to duplicate what you were eating when you're eating meat. And what I mean by that is, okay, I'm not eating hamburgers anymore. So I'm going to eat overly processed veggie burgers. I'm not eating steak anymore. So I'm going to eat seitan, fake seitan steak. Focus on real food and there's culinary options such as Indian food. My mother was from India. She was a lifelong vegetarian. So I grew up with Indian food and a lot of Indian food is vegetarian and vegan Mm -hmm. and that's, and it's delicious too. So that's a good starting point to just incorporate healthy food that tastes really good and then experiment with different culinary options, Thai food, et cetera. There you go. That's a that's a that's a great, great piece of advice. I like that. Because somebody I mean, to, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Somebody Susan. had a question. If you're diabetic, can you be vegan? Yeah, you can. I mean, you always want to work with a, a physician who knows what he or she is doing, whatever dietary approach you take. But there's people that have done high carbohydrate vegan diets that have improved their glucose levels dramatically. Other people may not, though. I mean, if I do super high carbohydrate, it's probably going to have a negative impact on my glucose. That's just the cards I've been dealt. But I think. Switching over to healthy food, real food, that alone is going to help insulin sensitivity and leptin sensitivity because it's all the fake garbage processed food that these hormones don't know what to do with. So they make these insulin and leptin receptors much weaker so it can't process the good food that you're consuming. A lot of good advice, man. You know, I heard just as long as we're geeking out on diet a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it, it made me think about. I, I, here's my thought process. I went, "Oh, geez, if you're diabetic, you need you need a specialist dietitian who knows how to advise you on this." And that costs money, and who gets access to that? And then we're talking about all these foods that are kind of expensive. And I, there, there is a whole topic of food equity that this country needs to have a little bit. Because I started thinking. I, here's my thought. I, my other part of my blew over my head. Thought blew over my head was, "Geez, we, you know, with all this information, it's amazing. We still have giant populations of humans that just don't understand it, don't do it, don't follow it." And some right. of it is 
food equity. We, we, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Explain. We, we don't we – don't, McDonald's is cheap. Exactly. Right. McDonald's right. is cheap. 7-Eleven right. is cheap. And, and we, don't, we don't culturally <clears throat> distribute it properly yeah. and, and endorse it, help it, and it's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Well, food, food subsidies is the real reason why those foods are cheap too, yeah. right? So we have yeah. government food subsidies of corn, et cetera, so that these – It's exactly – I mean, look, 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 McDonald's is cheaper now than it was when I was a kid. That's right. I'm, it's exactly well, what I was thinking how about. Is that, how is that even possible? I was thinking about corn. I was thinking about all the corn subsidies and why we still have that. It's just – it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Also, a lot of people look at organic food and they go, wow, that's really expensive. And the only reason they think it's expensive is because they're used to buying subsidized foods at a much cheaper rate. Yep. Uh-huh. So the comparison, you go, wow, that's way more expensive than this. It goes, yeah, it's a point of comparison, though. It's because the foods you're used to getting at a cheap price it's not so much that they're cheap. It's just that they're heavily subsidized. I get so you. you. Have the illusion. I would just argue for all of us that do geek out of this stuff. It occurred to me that that's a topic we should keep our yeah. eye on. And it, and no, no, it's 100% yeah. it is. Yeah. 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 There's, a lot, there's a lot of people in the inner city who are going, I, I can't afford all this stuff. Or and that's a genuine problem. Or they don't have access. It's not distributed there. And right. time. There's so many things about that. Equitability that, that's bothering me right now. So anyway. Yeah, and, and look, and a lot of it is – uh, you're right. I mean, I guess equity is the best way of describing it because yeah. I live in Venice Beach and forget it. I walked. I literally, <laughs> I, I literally was like stuck. I'm not normally stuck with out a meal. I, I'm, yeah. I'm very good about preparing yeah. in advance and having yeah. my meals set out. Yeah. But I was the other day. I was in a pinch and I had to run to Access Hollywood, back to Access Hollywood, and I realized, oh my god, I, I got to eat. And within uh, where you could throw a baseball to, I could get. Anything. Ten salads Anything. and yeah, you know whatever works. I wanted, <laughs> yeah. and right. I I just know that that's not the same in most neighborhoods, yep. and and uh, right. there's you know that maybe something about that needs to change. Not in this neighborhood. Well, we're okay here, but but this is all. But even here in Pasadena, it's it's uh, it's a pain in the ass to park. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, ima- imagine uh, Los Angeles is basically a bubble, right? Because yeah. even in Rural part, even in the obscure parts of Los Angeles, you're still going to have way better options than, let's say, a rural part of Ohio yeah, or most of America, right? right? You right. start traveling around America, especially middle America, yeah. and try to find good, healthy options, regardless of your eating type. Yep. It's difficult. You're right. I do think the internet's helped, though. You know, it's, well, this is my point. That's my point that this, we should really keep our eye on it because the, the information's there and we should be helping distribute it. That's all I'm saying. Well, my- well we have two, two huge problems right now in America. One, we have epidemic levels of obesity where children are obese now yeah. like never before right never in human civilization ever has there been obesity like there is in america now yeah. and then two estrogen dominance is huge i see guys that are visibly estrogen dominant every day meaning that they carry body fat the way an overweight woman would carry body fat in the hips lower body etc hmm. and this this happened i mean every day i see this <clears throat> I, so these, I, these are huge problems. I always assumed that was just the obesity and the and the sedentary life. No, it's a different fat. If you know, look, watch a movie from the seventies. No, I, I know what you mean. You I, watch I, like a watch well, the Godfather. I get what you're saying. You see the fat guy. Yeah, yeah. He's the fat guy, but he's barrel chested. No, he's he's, he's kind of stocky. He's yeah. the stocky guy. Now fat well, fat, is, fat stomach, not fat glutes. Like, look, yeah. I saw a guy who had a fat. That butt, the way an overweight woman, yeah, yeah, about no, I, in I, terms I, of the I way you're storing body fat, oh. and what scares me is that a lot of people are just okay with this. They think it's fine. Yeah. Even some guys who work out, I see guys who work out who have a certain level of muscle tissue, 
but they're visibly estrogen dominant to me. I don't even have to see their lab work. I can tell by the way they're holding. Where's that coming from? So many factors. Food food is a huge one. Low, low quality foods. Definitely one thing. A lot of chemicals in the environment. Crazy. Uh, Society to some extent, there's somewhat of a war on masculinization. Anything that's considered, like, look, testosterone is always described in a negative way. Yeah. Oh, like, like there's, if there's a bully at a bar, what do people say? Oh, he's yeah. got too much testosterone. Yeah, yeah. When in reality, he has too little testosterone, too much estrogen, and a poor testosterone to estrogen ratio, and probably a lot of other things as well. But that's why that person is overcompensating because the people I know that have high testosterone, alpha male type guys, these are the nicest guys you'll ever meet. They're not inappropriate when they talk to women. They're very nice to everyone they come across. And they're also very concerned about everyone's well-being within their proximity. Now, that's someone who has high testosterone, good testosterone, rape, estrogen, happy. not some bully. Exactly. Someone who's just happy, self-assured. Testosterone makes not- me happy. I know. <laughs> oh, it does. If you, look, I mean, testosterone, I think anyone – I mean, obviously, depression is not my expertise. That's Dr. Drew's thing. But – I think people with depression, I think looking at what their testosterone level should be part of the analysis. I, you know, you don't know how much, particularly for females, you have no idea how true that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely for women. I, I think the full you. hormone profile is important just to provide more intel on what's going on. Yep, I agree. That's a good note to leave on. Uh, MikeMahler.com is the official website. And again, I can't recommend enough uh, his entire line of the his Live Life Aggressively, the Live Life Aggressively podcast and uh his uh, aggressive, his aggressive testosterone booster in particular is is freaking awesome, and um, and he's got the numbers to prove it, and he's got plenty of clients to prove it. Uh, Mike, dude, it was a real pleasure to talk to you again. Thanks, to, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you so much. Somebody asked a question: um, What kind of blood test should you have asked for to test your hormone level? Uh, if you're female, the basics are estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Um, somebody might want to also check sex hormone binding globulin, mm-hmm. which is, you know, determines how much free level of hormones you have. Uh, thyroid should be part of the profile. Blood sugar should be part of the profile. Am I missing anything? I, this is what I did. I'm a layperson. Yeah. I went to my doctor and I asked him what would he want? Yeah. And he told me personally, I went to quest diagnostics, my local yeah. quest diagnostics, and I had them full blood for that. They sent the results back to my doctor. And what was it? Um, we don't know. I was a lot of stuff. I mean, what else? Uh, T3. Yeah. Um, DHEA, did they do that? D- DHEA, free yeah. testosterone, testosterone, yeah. um, estrogen levels. Yeah. Um, uh, it's hard to interpret those Glucose. Things. Very hard to interpret those, those particular ones you just yeah. mentioned for a middle-aged male. It's hard to know. Um, go ahead. Reverse T3. Yeah. Uh, glucose. Checking um, all the thyroid stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, all yeah, the metabolic stuff. stuff. Yeah. Didn't, didn't do a sex hormone binding globulin. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. I he mean, went over it with me and said, "There's nothing here to be concerned of. You're in great health." So well, I was like, "Okay." But but we we don't really I I mean I bet Mike Mahler may knows more about interpreting it than endocrinologist in the way the kinds of nuances you're looking for, right. which is optimization of performance, things like that. We're looking for medical problems. I'm looking that no no to yeah. me right now, yeah. I could I mean it'd be nice to know like how I could tweak it to optimize yeah. my performance or yeah. look better. Yeah. I wanted to know I'm not gonna die. Oh no, no, you know, no. like don't worry about that. Those hormone those levels don't really even yeah, figure into you dying okay. very much. So. <laughs> and frankly, I was hoping he'd go. Yeah, we need to get you on some growth hormone and some testosterone. <laughs> Unfortunately, he didn't. He's like, you're in great health. I understand. God damn it. <laughs> 
Hey everybody, it is the Swole Patrol Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Catherwood and Dr. Drew is at Dr. Drew, of course. Join the email list today. Send your questions, drdrew.com slash contact and put Swole at the top of the email so we can get your comments. And this will get you a weekly email reminder with a link to this show and all the great shows that Dr. Drew and I do and all the shows that Dr. Drew does by himself and, of course, with Adam Carolla, the great ace man. Please tell a friend and subscribe on iTunes. Don't forget to rate us five stars. And on Podbean or Google Play, all three help us out. We also are on YouTube slash Dr. Drew and uh, hope you can give us all your comments, even if they're if you're a troll and you want to destroy our feelings and our emotions. Support our sponsors and the show. Click on the banners on drdrew.com for the links for special discounts for the products Dr. Drew and I endorse 100%. Send questions and comments to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Swole Patrol Podcast or on Twitter at Swole Patrol Pod. And uh, be good. Be swole. Hashtag Swole Patrol.